0: This episode of Superman of the Bronze Age is sponsored by InStock Trades. A mainstay of the collected edition market, InStock Trades has over 13,000 individual trade paperback, graphic novel, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship, all at great discounted prices. Most orders ship within 48 hours and orders over $50 ship for free. You can find them on the web at www.instocktrades.com. rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over the Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. This is Superman Superman in in the Bronze Age. Age. Hello everybody, and welcome to episode 102 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast hosted by me, Charlie Niemeyer, if that makes any difference to you. So how's everyone going? As I record this, it's Mother's Day, so by the time this is released, obviously it'll be after Mother's Day, so a quick happy belated Mother's Day to all of the moms out there. Uh, I don't really have much preamble this time. Uh, We're continuing the weekly format. I actually made it to two episodes, so hopefully we can keep this up. Uh, But I do have some feedback before we get to the comics today. Uh, Our only feedback comes from Russell Bragg. You may have heard of him. He's written into the show a time or two. And Russell writes, Hi Charlie. No more just Charlie jokes. Great episode as always. It may be a little harder for me to write an email for every show now since it's weekly, but I sure am going to try. Well, you did pretty good here. I think you posted this like the day after the last episode release, So not bad. Anyway, Russell continues. A big thank you for you. Yes. A big thank you for you from me for plugging my future podcast. I'm getting things organized in my head and on paper for a promo or two and my pre episode one show. It should. It shouldn't be long now until DC Comics Presents show hits the internet. I don't have Superman 324 yet, nor 325, but I have 326 and 327. 324 sounded like a nice comic book. That Lana sure is a sneak, huh? Was that the word you couldn't say on a family-friendly show? Well... Russell, I hope not, because I just said it. And it's always nice to see Titano. The top surprise for me was an appearance of the Supermobile. You and I have discussed the mobile a few times through email. I've always loved the idea of it, and it sure came in handy this time. I can't wait to get an actual copy of this comic so I can go through it again. One last thing before I go. During one of your email segments a while back, you suggested to me that after your show is over that I might start over and listen from the beginning. You might have been joking, but I think I'm going to do just that. My Superman collection is better now than when I started listening, so I might have more shows where I can listen and follow along at the same time. I'd also be curious when I started emailing you and count how many I have sent you. Well, that's a fault there. Yeah. Well, that's all for me this time. Russell Bragg. Well, Russell, I honestly couldn't tell you when you started. It had to be around f- episode 50 or so maybe. But you weren't an every episode guy until a little later. But you have been a big part of the show for a long time, so, you know, enjoy. Uh, And I feel sorry for you listening from the beginning, because I I know I sucked then. But, you know, I've gotten a little better. I like to think I have, anyway. So, in fact, right now I'm talking without any scripting. And that's not usually safe for me. Anyway, the appearance of the Supermobile. It was cool, but it was really just a cameo. I really hope you have those issues of Action Comics where it showed up before and was introduced. That's probably your biggest and best appearance of the Supermobile in, Superman, in any Superman comics ever outside of an advertisement for the Supermobile. So hopefully you have those. If not, you need to like get those somehow. Just highly recommend it. I almost covered it on the show, but I just kind of ran out of time. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but, so thank you again, Russell, for writing in. Next up, we're going to play a couple of promos, uh, neither of which are for Russell's show, and then we'll take a look at Superman number 325. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet. Are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis A Superman Podcast The Schuster Herald Podcast It's Superman The Carousel Podcast The Armor of Hero Steel A John Henry Allen Podcast The World's Best Podcast And Radio Kale from SupermanHomePage.com Join hosts Michael Bradley John Wilson Billy Hogan, Billy Hogan Charlie Niemeyer J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor Michael Bailey Scott Gardner Sam Rizzo Danny Sapp Matthew Epps I'm Isaac I'm Adam Dave Yunus and co-host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them something to aim for somebody to try to be like man of tomorrow, with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up. Up. And away. Atomic batteries. Turbines to speed. Roger. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at GreatCrypton.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, Superman number 325 had a cover date of July 1978 and an on-sale date of April 10th, 1978, with a cover price of just 35 cents. The title of the issue is The Super Sellout of Metropolis, written by Marty Pasco, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Ciaramonte, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by one Julius Schwartz. The issue opens in front of the UBC building, where Superman is signing autographs, while behind him is a large sign on the marquee that says, UBS, welcome Superman to its lineup of superstars! While this is going on, the crew from WGBS is reacting with a combination of shock and anger over this turn of events. Lana even goes up and interviews the Man of Steel, and we learn that not only does Superman get a 15% raise after his first year, which seems to be pretty good to me, uh, but his salary is in six figures, which is very good uh, if you ask me, and the fact that this is the 70s makes it even better. To learn how this came to be, we flash back to 11.45pm the previous day, where Superman is traveling in a supermobile back towards Metropolis and Cape Edmonton. Because, you know, he left Dr. Clyburn in the Atomic Skull's base because he hadn't rescued her yet. But suddenly, it's 12 minutes later and he's flying over the south suburbs. After a quick scene change to show us that Dr. Clyburn is still with the unconscious Atomic Skull, waiting for Superman to return... We switch back to the Fortress, where Superman leaves in the Supermobile after all of his equipment has given him a clean bill of health. Despite the fact that the caption states that the Supermobile has been returned to its hangar in the Fortress, and the fact that this is the last time we see the Supermobile for the rest of this issue, and several more after that. Anyway, we quickly switch back. Back to the Atomic Skull's base, where the Skull Saucer has returned. One of the agents sees Dr. Clyburn and is about to kill her since she knows too much about their operations. But Superman, sans Supermobile, shows up to block his shot. He quickly takes down the Skull Agent, plus two others, before he screams for some reason and then begins jackhammering a message into the floor. While he's doing this, the Skull Saucer takes off, evidently containing at least one other Skull Agent. Dr. Clyburn turns to see this, and when she turns back, the message, Stop the Violence on GBS Shows, is carved into the floor, and Superman is just sitting there, confused. After she mentions that the skull saucer took off, Superman goes after it. In an effort to keep his distance in case there's kryptonite on board, Superman grabs a rocket under construction, because there's just tons of rockets at this place, and uses it to back the saucer back and uses it to bat the saucer out of the sky and into the water below. And it actually is a good thing that he did this, because when he hits the saucer, some chunks of kryptonite come out as well. He then uses the metal from the rocket pad to build giant forceps to pluck the remaining skull agents out of the water. After turning the agents and the atomic skull over to the authorities, Superman returns to Dr. Clyburn, who hypothesizes that Superman experienced a fugue episode, basically walking blackouts where he exhibits uncharacteristic behavior and later has no recollection of it. Meanwhile, Lana and her chopper pilot land on the WGBS roof, noting the glowing GBS violates fairness doctrine message in the night sky, which explains what Superman did during his mysterious 12 minutes. But he doesn't know that yet. Then Lois walks out, still upset over the trick Lana pulled on her last issue, and then they, the two of them compare the status of their current relationships with Superman, with Lois showing off her mind-reading ring, and Lana, well, getting the upper hand using words. Anyway, it renews their rivalry and they both leave in a huff. Meanwhile, at 1.30 a.m. on the beach at Cape Edmonton, we learn that Skull has somehow gotten their hands on a device that's basically an ultra-super-duper telescope and teleport ray in one convenient-to-use package, and had used it to bring Titano to Earth. So Superman uses it to send him back to the planet of Giants before flying Dr. Clyburn back to Star Labs. But soon, Superman wakes up in the woods outside Metropolis, where he sees that he's used heat vision to carve Morgan Edge as a tightwad into the side of a mountain. He would investigate further, but Clark is late for work. So he stashes the teleportoscope in the secret compartment in Clark Kent's closet and then heads to WGBS, where Lois talks to him about the eyewitness reports spotting Superman creating the glowing sky message that we saw earlier with his Supermobile. So while Clark realizes that this is what he did during his missing 12 hours, and by that I mean minutes, Jimmy busts into the newsroom to share the news that earlier that morning, Superman had signed an exclusive contract with the UBC network. Since UBS has been responsible for BlackRock in the past, and since he doesn't remember actually signing any contracts, Clark Clark decides to see if they might be manipulating him. That night, Superman sneaks into the UBC offices, and thanks to his infrared vision, which allows him to see in the dark, he quickly finds his contract and is shocked to find out that the signature is indeed genuine. But not as shocked as he is when a giant hand, formed out of cohesive black particles, starts slapping him around the room. One good super punch disperses the particles, and Superman realizes that genius inventor Peter Silverstone, creator of Black Rock, is behind everything. Unfortunately, what Superman doesn't notice is that the particles have regrouped behind him into the form of Black Rock, who then uses his Power Stone to blast Superman in the back of the head. Superman was not seen again until the next evening when he was signing autographs outside of UBC. And now that we've caught up to the start of the issue, we get to the shocking part of Lana's interview. The part where Superman announces that his first program will be a live half-hour interview in which he will reveal his secret identity to the nation. And if that ain't a cliffhanger, I don't know what is. So, in order to enjoy that cliffhanger just a little bit longer, we're going to go to a couple promos, and we'll be right back with notes and ads. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents the All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America every Friday at 2TrueFreaks.com. Look up in the sky! SupermanHomepage.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All right, first note, I want to point out the cool cover. Um, this cover is drawn by Rich Buckler and inked by Joe Rubinstein, and it's really a cool cover. We've got the Black Particle Hand squeezing Superman while we got the scientist guy in the background, which we know is Silverstone after reading the issue, but it could be Commissioner... It actually looks a lot like Commissioner Gordon in a, a lab coat, actually. So, you know, it's kind of indescript, but it's a really cool piece of artwork. Um, it's I really like it. It's a little change-up from the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez stuff we've had, but it's still very effective and very cool. Uh, moving into the issue uh, it is pretty cool to see Superman signing autographs I mean this is Superman he would do this uh, the, the the idea of the UBC welcoming Superman to the lineup of superstars also kind of makes sense not actually and of course you're left very confused by the rest of the image though because UBC is welcoming Super, Superman into its lineup of superstars plus someone is conveniently holding a issue of the Daily Planet at just the right angle so that we can see the headline, Superman sized Exclusive Contract with UBC, which of course makes you want to read the rest of the issue. See how that works? It's, it's a beautiful thing. Although I have to say, I highly doubt so many people would be so dressed up for something like this. I mean, this kid is wearing bell bottoms and a nice sweater and a colored shirt. Where's the t-shirts? I know they wore t-shirts. I've seen ads with people wearing t-shirts. Page two. Lana's hair seems to have changed style a little bit. I don't know if that's Kurt or Frank messing it up there, but it looks like a different hairstyle. Uh, It's it's a little off. It's just... I don't know how to explain it. I mean, it's still fitting with the times, but it just isn't the same as what she had the last issue. Uh, page three, uh, Russell will be happy because the Supermobile makes another cameo. And let's see. Oh, as I mentioned on page four, Superman is flying the Supermobile out of the fortress after his medical scanners have found nothing wrong with him, but it says that the Supermobile had been returned to its hangar inside the Fortress of Solitude. So I'm thinking this is an artistic error but no one seemed to catch it, so you know, whatever. By the way, uh, for line drawing, Dr. Clyburn doesn't look half bad in in a white, skin-tight jumpsuit. Just saying. Uh, Let's see. Okay, and by page nine, okay, so Superman's kind of, I'm pretty sure this has probably done some damage to this rocket that's under construction, although it looks pretty complete to me. Plus, he uses some of the scaffolding to create tweezers or pinchers or whatever you want to call it. Forceps. Yes, that's what they're calling it. Uh, which is cool and all, but I don't know. I hope he fixed it, because it seems like he's just kind of doing a lot more damage than he really needs to. I mean, yeah. It's nice to see a follow-up to Lois and Lana's little tiff, and Lana's hairdo is, again- is back to the way it was last issue here. So, apparently at some point, Lana decided to go with a different look although Lois's hair looks a little different but it's amazing how many people are still up and working at oh I don't know say like 1 130 in the morning I mean yeah uh, let's see now look now on page 12 Superman finds this cool scientific device this does this does come into play later so this isn't just some mysterious thing that they you know just drop. This is a subplot for a later story. We'll see more about it next issue. I I, I kind of read ahead a little. Sorry. And that's pretty much about it for my uh, for notes for the issue itself. Uh, going back and looking at some of the ads like, I'm, like I did last time, I'm not really going to look at too many of the ads that aren't comic book related. So we're going to skip the whole um, basically a batter's tea to help with batting practice ad that's the inside front cover we're gonna skip the bikes burgers and candies ads because that's the same as last time and the dice baseball game and the Clark bar ad uh, the now this issue does have a hostess cupcake ad but it's the exact same one from last issue which I didn't cover there since I've already done it before so I'm not going to do it here sorry now the next page is a really cool ad uh, it's Batman's strangest cases, five of the weirdest, most awesome Dark Knight detective thrillers ever published. 80 gigantic pictures featuring story and art by Neil Adams, Dick Giordano, Irv Novik, Denny O'Neill, Frank Robbins, Len Wein, and Bernie Wrightson. And I, I'm guessing since it's gigantic pages, this might be one of those um, treasury-sized issues. It's all reprints. None of them are new. But it looks like we've got uh, Batman and the Demon of Go- Gothos Mansion by Denny O'Neill, Irv Novik, er, and Dick Giordano. We've got A Vowel from the Grave by Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, and Dick Giordano. Uh, Red Water Crimson Death by Denny O'Neill. It looks like Neil Adams. Uh, the Batman Nobody Knows by Frank Robbins An ARC by Dick Giordano. And Night of the Bat by Lynn Ween and Bernie Robinson. It looks like about it. I think that's from an issue. It looks like that's from an issue of Swamp Thing. So but that's kind of cool. Uh, moving right along, there's a grit ad and a slim Jim ad. Okay. <clears throat> Beginning June 1st, the DC explosion. More pages more stories, and the most exciting superheroes in comics. Watch for full details next month. And it's got a nifty bit of artwork by Joe Staton. Unfortunately, it has no background, but it does have Hawkman, Enemy Ace, Big Barda, uh, I can only assume this is the Ray, uh, looks like Rainbow Raider, maybe? The Atom, uh, Omac. Martian Manhunter, Dead Man, and a woman in old clothing with a sword who kind of looks like Isis, but I don't think it's Isis. I'm not sure who that is. Anyway, uh, so yeah, they're advertising the DC explosion. We all probably know what happens with that, but we're just going to kind of watch it as it happens. But yes, beginning June 1st is the DC explosion. In fact, in a couple issues, that explosion is going to be felt in the Superman books as Superman is going to grow to a bigger page size and get a backup feature, which I'll probably talk about a little bit. But anyway, uh, next page is a hodgepodge ad. The next page after that is The Sound and the Fury. The top half is an ad for two of, our, of DC's war books. Uh, one is a dollar comic DC Spectacular uh, featuring Star- Sergeant Rock. And the other one is the Fighting Forces featuring The Losers. We'll probably see more of that when we look at the elsewhere stuff, uh, and the bottom half is again that D- direct Currents newspaper ad that we talked about, or that I talked about last issue, uh, to get you know so you can get the spot behind the scenes info on all the cool stuff. Uh, then of course you got a, then there's an ad for TV posters, uh, which doesn't really have anything to do with comics, but you know is important if you like a lot of the people from TV back in the day, like Angie Dickinson, Farrah Fawcett, Suzanne Summers, Linda Carter. Yeah. Uh, next page, we have a uh, half page of Hodgepodge, ad, Hodgepodge ads and half a page of weight training ads, of a weight training ad. And next, uh, The next ad page is a full page of Hodgepodge. Next. Oh, this is an, this is an ad we saw last issue. First, there was World Finest. Next, there was ba- uh, Brave and the Bold. Now, the people who pioneered superhero team-ups proudly introduce DC Comics Presents, which, of course, Dave covered on a few episodes of this show, and of and Russell's going to be covering on his show. So, but if you don't want to wait for their coverage, you know, you can go read them. You know, prep yourself. Uh, let's see, and then the next ad page is for more weight training. The next ad page is pretty cool. It's uh, DC Superhero Collectible Books. There's uh, The top half is activity books for hours of fun. Which uh, There's a Super Friends activity book. There's a Batman and Robin book. There's Batman's supervillain mazes book. There's Wonder Woman's crime-busting clues and Codes book, Superman's Maze Challenge, and Superman's Search a Word Shapes. And it looks like the Super Friends one is a maze book. But yeah, it's... I I don't know what they look like on the inside, obviously, but for 95 cents each, you can get all these puzzle books. There's also DC Comics in paperback books. And I am not sure, and I'm not going to say that I know, if these are old comics shrunk down or Redone to fit in a paperback size and then you know printed in black and white because I know that they've done that both with DC and Marvel books, Uh, or if they are just like prose versions of the comics or something like that. But there's Batman, Superman, uh, Superboy and the Legion, Wonder Woman, World's Finest, and Justice League of America with covers that do look familiar uh, if you've read any of their comics before. So it's possible that it's just re- like reprint books, uh, but those are a dollar twenty-five each. So that's cool. And of course, the back cover is another ad for that super siren thing. All right. Okay, and a quick trip over to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at www.dcindexes.com is where we're going to go to look at elsewhere in the DC Universe because this doesn't have a handy-dandy Daily Planet page this time. Um, Going in order of publication date for comics with the cover date of July 1978. Batman is accused of murder in in Batman number 301. Uh, Superman Races the Flash in DC Comics Presents, number one. Uh, we get a reprint collect, uh, book covering Batman's Strangest Cases, which we just talked about the ad for. Uh, the Justice League of America Take on the Fiend with Five Faces in Justice League of America, number 156. Uh, Karate Kid uh, smashes through time to the future, but it's the wrong future. In Karate Kid number 15, which guest stars Commandy. Which kind of makes sense with the wrong future thing. Adventure Comics number 458 features a solo story of Superboy, in which his parents are trying to send him to the Phantom Zone. Hmm. And Black Lightning number 10, in which he has to face off against the other Black Lightning as well as the Trickster, apparently. Batman teams up with Aquaman in Brave and the Bold number 142 with a beautiful Jim Aparo cover. And then the Flash has to deal with both Golden Glider and the Ringmaster in Flash number 263. New Gods number 19, we get Orion and Darkseid clashing in Final Combat. All Star Comics number 73 features the Justice Society once again, uh, which part of the team is attacked by the Sportsmaster. The Huntress has to face against the villain of the same name, and Wildcat may face his end. Probably not, but he might. Uh, And in showcase number 102, Hawkman and Adam Strange team up in an adventure entitled Strange Adventures. Get the pun? Yeah. And Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes began their greatest battle in Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 241 which the cover is by a man named James Sherman but some of it kind of looks like George Perez had a hand in it. It's kind of weird. Of course I'm also looking at it at a small size. Maybe if I was actually holding the issue it would be a different story. Well, not a different story but it would look different. Never mind. All right, next up, uh, Superman Family number 190 features not, uh, looks like it's an all-new book-length novel dealing with the Earth about to die in 10 minutes and also features all of the stars of the book, including Jimmy Olsen, Superman, Supergirl, Lois Lane, Crypto and Nightwing and Flamebird the new one not the originals uh, the experiment that backfired on Superman is the title of Action Comics 485 which is actually a reprint of Superman number 233 which is given a uh, new framing sequence I believe they take out the part about the sand Superman showing up at the end of it and also uh, the framing sequence is inked by Joe Rubenstein which is his first time inking Kurt Swan And from what I've seen on Facebook, he feels like he failed at it. Uh, I thought it looks pretty good. Uh, Clayface comes back in Detective Comics number 478. It's actually the coming of Clayface 3, uh, which is the introduction of the third Clayface. It's also Lynn Ween taking over the writing chores from Steve Englehart. It's right after that run has ended with pencils by Marshall Rogers. Uh, by the way, that is some beautiful art. Any way you can read that stuff, I highly recommend it. It is amazingly beautiful. Granted, the uh, D- Detective Comics was coming out on a bi-monthly status, so Rogers had time to actually put more work into it, but the detail, the level of detail he put into every issue is amazing. But anyway, this isn't a Detective Comics podcast. Uh, of course, it's not a Green Lantern podcast either. Green Lantern number 106 features... Uh, Green Lantern and Green Arrow teaming up against a panic in high places and low. Yeah, Uh, Wonder Woman number 245 features a cover in which she looks like she's saving Steve Trevor from getting shot at by a bunch of bullets. Which makes sense because it's one of the things she does. And also this month is DC Special Series number 15 which is the Batman Spectacular featuring three different batman stories with a cover by marshall rogers so that's cool and that's gonna do it for us this time i want to thank everyone for listening if you'd like to follow us on facebook we have a facebook page of course uh superman of the bronze age just look us up if you'd like to follow the show on twitter we are at at superchug1980 although that's actually my private one so you, you actually get just me talking but mostly it's show posting stuff and um, make sure you come back next week when we find out the reason behind the title A Million Dollars a Minute I'll see you then thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age hosted by Charlie Niemeyer show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more also we have a Facebook fan page where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted feel free to like us there want to comment on the episode you just heard email the show at superbronze1970 at gmail.com. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you again for listening, and God bless. to our show on stitcher smart radio stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iphone android phone blackberry or palm phones on demand and on the go don't have stitcher download it for free today at stitcher.com or in the app stores stitcher smart radio the smarter way to listen to radio